Welcome to That Stagey Blog in this brand new series called Stagey Chat. In each episode, I'm going to be chatting to three different people from the industry, all about things that are happening within the theatre community. And this week, I chat to Lucy Alcliffe, Paul Vale, and Kieran Brown. We chatted about Andrew Lloyd Webber and the pilot show that he put on at the Palladium earlier this week with Beverly Knight. And we also chat about the producers of Dear Evan Hansen and The Book of Mormon and how the cast and creatives found out by Twitter that the shows won't be returning until next year. I don't know. Oh, oh, I'm I'm muted. Good. I didn't know for a second that this was going to be filmed. I was like, <laughs> it's fine. Just on a workout, sweating. Don't I know? I've been doing lots of podcasts, so in my mind, I just went there. I'm sorry, guys. No, no, oh, right. been, don't you haven't waiting too long, have you? No, 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 no. no. Twenty minutes. Well, Paul gave us a tour of his house. Well, we... Oh, I'm sorry. I missed that. Oh, hello. Oh, look at those candlesticks. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Kieran, eight pick fit. Hey, listen, you're doing <laughs> that business. I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I wish I could afford something so I could buy some because I, I love you, them. You need something on your wall. Just a bit. You do. Dellen, you can't see I'm gonna, I'm, hang on. I'm going to send you oh, some. Oh, there she is. There she is. We've got Marilyn, Marilyn. Marilyn above the bed. Think what you will. Amazing. Right. So, thank you very much for joining Stagey Chat. So, we've got Mr. Paul Vale, theatre critic with 20 years experience at the stage. And hello, we've got Kira Brown and Lucy Alcliffe, both performers in the West End. So, we were all this week in the room where it happened at the Palladium for Andrew Lloyd Webber's pilot performance with Beverly Knight. <laughs> How was it for you guys? Start with Lucille. Okay, well, at first I was quite anxious. This was the first time that I was going back into town since I'd say February, early March. Yeah. Um, so I was a little bit anxious about the situation, but so excited to see what was going to happen in that theatre and what the theatre was going to look like. Um, what was it, two thirds capacity? Yeah, what it normally it's normally 2,900 and they had 700, didn't they? Yes, 700 of us. Can you believe it in such a huge theatre? Um, but I was so excited to see and hear live music again, just melting my face off. And that's exactly what Beverly Knight did. She was outstanding, wasn't she, guys? She was absolutely yeah, incredible. Really. Um, yeah. I loved Andrew Lloyd Webber's, Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber's speech. At the beginning, I thought that was just yeah, so let's incredible. Talk about that. So he came out and he gave it, it was about seven or eight minutes to talk about what, the, well, I don't know. How he feels, yeah. um, his passion for theatre as well. I have to say, this is a rather sad sight. Um, I, I'm so grateful uh, to you all for coming and being a sort of guinea pig like this, but. Um, the Palladium is meant to be full. It's a theatre that wants to love you, and uh, it, it's, it's sad. 
and I think this will amply prove why social distancing in theatre really doesn't work. It's a, it's a misery for the performers, I know, and thank you, Beverly, for being uh, so brave as to be miserable. You know, a lot of us forget that, yes, he does own seven theatres in the West End currently. Yeah. I've done my maths, I've done my facts. Um, and you know, he does have a passion, and theatre began for him in Panto, wasn't it? He said that his first Panto he saw at the Palladium when he was seven yeah. years of age. Yes. Which is obviously why he's obviously invested in that Palladium and bought yeah. it himself. But we were talking, Paul, you were saying about how you felt about Andrew Lloyd Webber and why he's being most, I mean, with the speech, I agree. It was very kind of heartfelt and sincere and it came from, a, 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 it felt very genuine. Um, mm. Do we, do we wonder why Andrew Lloyd Webber's invested in this? Does he feel an obligation to it? Does he feel a public responsibility? There's, there's been a lot of criticism of um, the support that he's been shown by theatre people. Matt Henley in the stage reported uh, extensively on the, uh, both the speech that he gave and the performance itself. And he's been faced with criticism of supporting Lloyd Webber, um, mainly because of Lloyd Webber's politics. And I think it's very, very difficult for a lot of people, especially people outside of the theatre experience, to forget uh, about Andrew Lloyd Webber's politics and how he feels. From my point of view, there are lots of people who were using the excuse that he didn't have to do it. He didn't have to do what he's doing. And I think that's very true. There are, there are other producers out there who are, don't appear to be doing anything, don't appear to be moving anything forward. But there again, I think there's also a, an element that Lloyd Webber should have done it. And, it has, and he's doing exactly what he should be doing. Not that, you know, I don't, I don't really see him as a hero. He's made an awful lot of money through theatre through audiences, through theatre, he has made an enormous amount of money and he's made some very questionable political choices. Yeah, uh, I and I think we have, to, we have to bear in mind that what he's done, I think it's, it's great what he's done, but I don't feel that he's a hero for doing it. He should have done it and that's what he should have done. Yeah, like the and there are others who should be doing it too. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> no, the support has, like I say, been, the support in the room felt very obvious and online since then. But like say, Forrest Fringe, for example, tweeted this morning saying, remember the time multimillionaire Andrew Lloyd Webber flew back first class from New York to vote in favor of reducing support for the most vulnerable people in the UK. No fucking hero of the industry we want to be a part of. So yeah, it is, it's there. People are it's saying- It's a truth. You know, he is not a universally liked yeah. And I think it's very difficult when you see somebody praising him as a hero. I don't think Cavendish in uh, The Guardian is say, referring to him as uh, the new Donald Wolfitt. I mean, Donald Wolfitt, during the war, went out and did Shakespeare, took Shakespeare to the provinces, doing all, and they're comparing it to him and how people must have felt about him. And I'm thinking there's lots of people, A, who probably didn't care that much for Donald Wolfitt doing um, Shakespeare throughout the war, and there's also those who think, well, that was his job, that's how he earned money. If he didn't do that, then he wouldn't have made a living. So it's a difficult one. I certainly don't feel that bringing up comparisons like that help, especially when you consider uh, Lloyd Webber's political past. 
And for you, Kieran, so you've worked for Macintosh and Andrew Lloyd Webber. How, how do you feel about what have they performed and what they've done during this? Uh, I, I absolutely agree um, with everything Paul says about we we have to kind of separate his politics and, and leave that to the side. Yeah. Is he a hero? I, I have a lot of respect for him, a huge amount of respect for what he's doing. And because if he wasn't doing it, nothing would be happening. It really, it really wouldn't. And I, I have respect for the fact also that he came on stage and he, he said, to his credit, um, Oliver Dowden is doing his best. He has a lot of things to think about. And yes, we want theatres opened as quickly as possible, but this has to be done safely. Um, and, and, you know, and everyone's screaming, we, we need theatres to be open. We, we get it, we get it. But these things have to be, there's a, there's a, a process and it has to be done properly and, and minimising the risk, not only to the audience, but to the performers and stuff as well. And if it wasn't for Andrew putting his money where his mouth is, yeah. uh, nothing would be happening because other wealthy and known producers aren't doing anything. And I have, I have on good authority that when it comes to the weekly um, Society of London theatre meetings, someone is very much not being a team player everyone's kind of trying to get together and they're trying to unify themselves to, to think of a way forward and someone is putting their hands up and saying no i'm doing this and and forget the rest of you and, and that person is not andrew Lloyd webber it's not his theater company that are that are proving to be uh not team players and so i, I do have huge amount of respect for him is he a hero any anyone that voted against you know uh, helping out the, the more vulnerable in society by flying from New York on a first-class ticket. I don't think I could ever call someone like that a hero, but I do have a lot of respect for him for what he's doing yeah. for our industry because he's doing something and, and very few others are. And um, will it work? So obviously we can talk a little bit about what we experienced and how we felt going into it. So did you feel comfortable in, in the Palladium yesterday as an audience? I did. The, 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 my, I mean, I, I know that Lucille was saying, you know, a, a little bit uh, apprehensive and tentative. I was more stressed about what I was going to wear because I don't fit into any of my nice clothes. And I knew that... <laughs> well, I meant that the, as well. That as well. Event, and, you know, everyone was going to be there. And, 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 and <laughs> things we have to consider now. <laughs> That's what I was thinking about most. What am I going to wear? Because I, 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 you know, I, I, I'm carrying my... Uh, my uh, lockdown weight, uh, a few a few years worth currently. Um, in terms of like being in the theatre, it was so well organised and so well managed, and and it was very clear. You know the, the one way systems, and and I was sat in the grand circle, so we didn't we weren't able to access a bar, but there was seats. They, they they were taking orders to the seats, and it was very efficient and very quick. And actually, I preferred that to having to go and queue at a bar for for the entirety of my interval. Um, yeah, it was basically table service, wasn't it? Like yeah. in a flower restaurant now. Yeah. I will the air say felt it. clean. It felt clean. It felt very um, fresh. I know it's because there were a few people there. Um, but they, they talked about the fact that the theatre had been fogged. Um, and this, 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 this process kind of protects the theatre from the virus for up to four weeks at a time. But Andrew is, is um, going to make sure the theatre is fogged every two weeks. So there's an, another level of protection for everyone there. Um, hand sanitizers everywhere, everything ultra, ultra clean. I felt, I felt very safe. I felt safer there, certainly, than I did on my southeastern trains home. Yeah. Mm. I mean, yeah. A, a big, big congratulations to the front of house team. Oh, exceptional. I, I just thought, you know what, this, this isn't a problem anyway. You just think, you know, they knew what they were doing and they knew where to send you and how it all worked. 
Um, and that was great. And as you say, there was table service. It was like table service, which is fantastic. And they're so friendly there and they just, they're so amenable, aren't they? And you felt for a second there, apart from seeing seats with massive crosses on them where people couldn't sit, you felt, you felt for a second like, oh, this is a little bit like before all of this. Yeah. You know, it felt very much like that. Very much so. Very much so. I mean, uh, I spoke to somebody there yesterday who said, they might as well have sold it out. They might have well got everyone here for the amount of uh, people who were ignoring, because there were people, uh, as it's very well documented, who were ignoring all the um, the uh, uh, PPE. And like, I saw people without masks on. I saw people, uh, people quite noticeably were tweeting about the fact they weren't wearing masks. Well, we can talk about that. So that was a tweet that mm. came up by the lovely Quentin Letts. Um, who said, I've been told three times that my mask isn't on correctly. You think, why do you have to be told three times? Yeah, <laughs> you're an adult. You're a grown-ass man. It Wear your mask. no sense, did it? It's like, exactly as you say, why should it then become the responsibility of the ushers to tell people? But that, it, it is a good indicator of, is this something that might cause a problem in the future? Will ushers have, especially with the one-way system, are they, are they going to, I mean, Yesterday was a very forgiving audience because we were obviously all invited, we were all there, we hadn't paid, but in a future where people are going to be paying, where people are going to be a bit more rowdy, a bit more kind of displaced, is it going to be harder for the staff to kind control of control that? Yeah, and is it their responsibility? There's also, so well, think, the government guidelines today say wearing a face covering is not actually mandatory in cinemas, concert halls, and theatres. So if they, unless they make it mandatory, people have, if, if it's an option, how can you govern that? How can anybody do that? They have to make it mandatory. Yeah. That's how people are gonna keep it on. How did you feel with the mask on for about an hour or so, and then the interview, had a drink and then put it back for on? For me, so I've been living in Cumbria for three months where I've not had any contact with people and not worn a mask at all. So for me, even getting the train down to London, which is three hours away and the mask all the whole way, it was uncomfortable. But I mean, mm -hmm. I, I recognise and appreciate people who are doing 10 hour shifts with these things on. Exactly. I give mm -hmm. credit to them. But for me, yeah, it, it was uncomfortable. And obviously I was sat right next to Paul and having difficulty hearing and talking to each other. Um, and obviously when you see other people, there's that kind of like, how close can we get? Are we allowed to talk to people? So it did, in, it impaired the experience a little bit for me, but obviously it is what we're calling the new norm. It's like, it, it's a compromise, yes, but ultimately it's a way back into what we do love. And obviously the show was fantastic. So the discomfort of having to sit and wear a mask during it, it's overrided by the fact you're seeing something and you're getting to see everybody like we did, for me anyway. How about you guys? I think for me, the, I, I wore the mask all the way through, apart from to have a glass of wine later on. Um, it was one of those things that, to begin with, it was really odd, but actually after a while I was too engrossed in the performance to actually think that I was wearing a mask. And at the end, when I got out of the theatre, it was great to take it off because you know, it's hot. But actually, it's a bit like the person texting across the way from you. You kind of, if the play is good enough or if the show is good enough, and you're completely absorbed, you kind of don't really notice it. 
Yeah, I mean, I've been wearing a mask since about April slash May, just going into Sainsbury's and going into shops because uh, me and my husband aren't vulnerable. So we haven't uh, requested any online shopping. We think that's for yeah. people who actually need it. Um, so actually, we have been wearing a mask for a while and it does take a while to get used to. But as humans, most of us are adaptable. And we can say to ourselves, this is a serious thing. We need to protect ourselves. We need to protect others. Strangers in the street, you know, you've just got to take care. Um, and that was the longest that I wore a mask for yesterday throughout the show. And occasionally it felt a little bit uncomfortable, mainly around my nose. My mouth was fine, my ears were fine. It was the nose for some reason. I was like, oh, this is a bit, bit itchy, a bit close. Um, but actually you get used to it after a while and you know that you have to wear it yeah i it, it, i stopped even being aware of it after a while. it started to pinch a little bit behind the ears because i think my elastic needs to be loosened ever slightly but in terms of of bothering me that i was wearing it for the duration of the show it really didn't it really mm -hmm. didn't bother me and it bothers me more that people think that they can't wear a mask for 10 minutes when they pop into sainsbury's that irritates me more than 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 wearing the wearing the mask itself it's it's you just don't notice it apart from to lower it to have a sip of wine it was absolutely it's it's the mask rage and you don't yeah. want to feel that against your yeah. family and friends do you but there's various conversations oh i've got to wear a mask now it's the 24th why weren't you wearing it before what but anyway that's for another conversation altogether. i've been in scotland i was in scotland for a week i went home uh, last week and i was there for eight days and they're obviously a little bit behind in terms of easing lockdown restrictions but they were quite ahead of the game with regards to masks being mandatory and it took me a little bit not by surprise necessarily because uh, like you'll see i was i was always wearing it when i went to the supermarket um but in scotland everyone everyone's wearing them and i think i saw two times people uh, someone having a bit of a, a tantrum or kicking off or whatever because they were having to wear the mask in tesco but they were very much in the minority so it's going to be very interesting here in England now that they're mandatory as of today. Yeah. And even Boris's language is starting to get a bit tougher. I think he referred to anti-vaxxers as nut jobs. And, uh, you know, and, and I think they're going to be really fining people £100 for not wearing the masks, in public, which is what, what we should have been doing a while ago anyway. And I hope that they, that they will start to police the, these people and, and they will issue these fines. But I think in theatres, absolutely, in cinemas, they should be mandatory. I can't believe that it's not, actually. It's, it's bizarre. It's, it's said on the news this morning, they were talking to supermarket um, uh, owners and people like that, and they were saying that they are advising their staff, do not confront. If somebody isn't wearing them, they are not going to be confrontational. They are there to offer them a mask. They have masks for them to buy. They have masks for the temporary ones they can have. But they will not be saying you can't come in here because you're not wearing a mask. But what's and the point of any of it? Exactly. Uh, what's the point of any of it? Either we all do it or, or, or we forget it. It's... Yeah. And on that, so the Palladium did a really good thing last night. So they were, anybody whose mask wasn't quite up to standard, they offered them a free mask, which was to standard. So, <clears throat> which is great. Because it's like people have no excuse. Like say you're told on your ticket, before you come, that this is going to be the way. Um, but so we've got to talk about Beverly Knight and how commendable that was to like get on that stage. And how, I mean, you two as performers, like, 
how do you think she felt like seeing that kind of spark? She must have felt quite nervous, yeah. obviously, because she's in a room filled with, okay, 700 people, not the usual 2,000 odd. But still, she must have had that slight heart palpitation of, a, oh my gosh, I'm back on stage. I'm yeah. singing my songs that she wrote herself as well with this incredible band. But also it's that, oh, people are there now. People are in front of me. And she was probably very excited, but equally very nervous. And, and I would be, wouldn't you, Kieran? Yeah, I mean, we, we all noticed that there were a lot of seats marked with an X, which is where people were not allowed to sit. And it was, I, I couldn't figure out how they had spaced out everyone. There was no, there didn't seem to be any yeah any uh, uh way that i could think of, of of what they must have been thinking the way they spaced out because some people were sat kind of knee to shoulder but around about us there was there was no one so for me to look out and see so many empty empty spaces it must have been very odd i mean i'm used to it i did titanic and Blackpool, <laughs> that was that was that was a good saturday evening house for titanic and blackpool um but for someone like her who must use be she must be used to you know seeing just heads and heads and heads and heads. And um, go back to when you did Phantom, how would it have felt to perform Phantom to an audience like that? I can't, I can't imagine, I, I can't imagine how it must look from, from where she was standing, but I, I think she was just grateful to be there and her, yeah. and her band also, you know, phenomenal, phenomenal musicians. Yeah. Uh, a great musicianship, a great uh, uh, set of songs. And I think they were just, they were enjoying themselves. They were just yeah. having the time to laugh and just grateful to be up there as well, to be, at the invitation of Lord Andrew Lord Webber at his theatre for his pilot. I mean, that's a, that's a huge honour for any... It's huge, and especially any... after her gig was pulled from the drive-in, mm. obviously, there was yeah. Kaiser Chiefs 6, the musical, and her gigs were uh, pulled. Yeah. So she was probably thinking, oh, great, well, when's the next time I get to sing? And yeah. Sir Andrew gave her that call, and she must have been elated. I love that. I mean, apart from Mamma Mia, when else can you stand up and six at the end for the finale? When can you stand up and have a good old dance yeah. till your feet hurt? That was incredible. When was the last time you went to a panto? <laughs> <laughs> true, very true. A while ago, I'd say, and I haven't done panto for years. I've, I've, I've been in musicals during Christmas for the last however many years now. So She's busy I've working, actually... darling. She's busy working. Hey, nice. working in panto is exactly the same thing. And I, I was looking forward to that. I was like, oh, maybe I can get myself a little bit of panto. So this no. nicely on. So I think it was Michael Harrison has said that the deadline for to, that he needs to know is the 1st of August to get mm. any panto in shape to actually put it out this year. And already you've seen, I think, Guildford's Wyvern Theatre and today Blackpool have just announced that though they are definitely going to cancel their pantos. Um, the Palladium, whether theirs goes ahead, I don't know. I don't think it's been announced yet. Um, but yeah, it's it's an odd one, isn't it? To think, well, if that's not going to happen, then we, we're look, we are looking at next year. For theater. Apart from, it's also been announced that, so over in France, 42nd Street is going to go ahead with Stephen Meir directing. Um, they're going from the 21st of November to the 17th of January with Cedric Neal playing Burt Barry. So That's so exciting. That? I'm going to go. I'm going to go. Yeah. Hello, hi, Walter. I'm jumping girl. on the Eurostar. Yeah, I went to see Funny Girl on the Eurostar and just went there overnight and came back the next day. Um, so it's brilliant. But whether, I don't know, at the moment we are free to go to Paris, but if, if things change and they, they lock the borders again, 
is that going to be a problem? We don't know. Well, every, everything, all of everything that we require, everything that we need, everything that we want, and everything that Lloyd Webber was talking about, that Michael Harrison uh, needs, all depends on a second spike. Right. They all come with that proviso. And I should imagine that with regard to the Kudos Pantos, that there comes a point where contracts have to be signed by yeah. uh, to, to make sure that they can actually get those performers, secure those performers. And of course, even if they did, even if we got a date tomorrow saying, yeah, you can all open on the 1st of December, which I think has been touted as a date by somebody in the news today, that should be the date. That's when we, you know, we could be opening by. If that gets decided and there's a second spike, it's all out the window anyway. Is it too much of a risk? It's like the drive-ins, they, they cancel because it's too much of a risk in case yeah. lockdowns occurred. Mm. On the plus side, I will say that there are pantos out there I think will go ahead. Yeah. But they are very small and they are, you know, they're not the big money-making pantos. And those money-making pantos are vitally important, not just for Michael Harrison, they are vitally important for the theatres and the theatrical ecology. And if they don't go ahead, there's a lot of it is going to be in serious trouble because that's the biggest money spinner they have over all year. Do you think audiences are ready to come back yet? Or do you think there's still a bit of apprehension? Yeah. If we look at Jesus Christ Superstar, so. I think they sold a third of all their tickets within the first 48 hours before it was the cast was even announced. And now they've yeah, just we, Me and my husband paid £15 um, to get on the... Um, priority list yeah. because we're not a member of open air so we paid 15 pounds wow. for it and we've got our tickets we're going first of september very excited so some people it depends what how they feel at the moment you know if they have been in lockdown and haven't been out much yeah. we've been out a bit now we've seen our family we haven't hugged them yet we haven't kissed our family or friends yet which is really hard for me um like most people but we adore theatre so much that we're going to go, we're going to keep that mask on throughout and we're going to make sure that we have a damn good time because it's an incredible show that I've missed every time it's been at open air or um, also at the, um, uh, where was it? Was it? It was a Barbican. Barbican. That's it. Yeah. I missed it there too. So. Oh, wow. With the greatest respect, Gail, um, you will not be seeing that show that you've missed. This is a problem. It's, it's, this it's, it's a, true. This is the issue that I have. My, it's my, a concert version, isn't it? Yes. It's a concert version and I have, I have a deep dislike of concert versions of musical theatre because I don't feel that musical theatre is about just the songs and just yeah. the music. There is so much more that goes on in musical theatre, choreography, design, and that is part of the package mm -hmm. so you're seeing you're not missing the production you've been missing uh, for the last three times you're going right. to see a constant version of that and i find i to be honest i thought whilst obviously they've got to make their money and let's face it it's, it's going to be a, they've sold out so quickly because it's a socially distanced presumably it's a socially distanced it have, is. yeah presumably half half their seats more than that they've gone down from 1250 down to 390 yeah, yeah. They have added, so they're doing nine performances a week to try and make it economically viable. Um, sure. Within that, they're going to be double casting the roles of Jesus, Judas, and Mary. Mary. Yeah. Um, so within that, you've got 
I mean, you won't know yet. You've already booked your ticket, so you won't know who you're going to get to see because they haven't released the schedule. Um, no, we'll, but I'm not that person. I just want to see more. someone do it. So yeah, yeah. Well, people do have their favourites. So, I mean, yeah, yeah. And they've all done it before, and they've all done it really, really well. Like I say, mm -hmm. um, I mean, the only difference that I, I noticed was so Herod was had been played by Sam Buttery and Peter Caulfield before in very elaborate performances and now they've got Shake Taylor. Um I don't know if he covered it before or not, but um yeah I presume so. I know he's done he did Lemmys after I did it. Because yeah. I recognise his face, yeah. Um but it it will it is a beautiful show. And like like Paul says, whether it's compromised because of the part of the, the reason it won an Olivier was down to Drew McConey's biography. And obviously mm -hmm. that has been taken away. But that said, it's still it's a beautiful score and it's an incredible band and they are incredible artists who they've got back. Like Declan Bennett's performance was incredible when I first saw it. So it will, it's like you say, it will melt your face off. But as long as they do that, I don't care. And it's a night out, so. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. I hope the weather's good. <laughs> I don't, I'm going. Rolly in hand. I'm ready for it. Come on. We're English. There's always going to be rain. <laughs> right. Shall we move on? So the other news this week, all, I mean, we're still talking about producers. So it's the handling of shows like Theo Evan Hansen and Mormon, Mormon um, mm -hmm. which both announced that their shows won't be retained until next year. Unfortunately, it seemed they, they informed the press before informing the cast. Um, I mean, how does this happen? Like, I, I speculate maybe it's because shows like that have teams of producers. They have American producers and English producers. Maybe the left hand not telling the right hand what they're doing and something slipped. I don't know. But I don't think producers have gone out of their way to, to inform the press before the cast. It's, but something has gone awry and this has happened. Um, anybody else know? I'll speculate why, how this happened. It's just, it's, it's, it's interesting that both of these shows are hosted in uh, theatres owned by a certain producer. And for that to happen hey, once... It's Cameron McIntosh, it is Cameron for, 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 for that to happen once is bad enough. For it to happen yeah. twice is just a bit unforgivable because, because the backlash that they, that they experienced when the Evan Hansen news leaked out should have been enough to say to them, look, this kind of isn't cool. You should... You yeah. shouldn't, Treat, you know, people like that, and you know, especially a show that a show that deals with mental health issues and things. They were not thinking about the mental health and well-being of their company when that news was released. So for that to happen to the Book of Mormon company, and I don't know, I know that obviously Cam Max are co-producers of Dear Run Hampton. I don't know if they are from Mormon or not, um, or if or if he has any hand in in that the management of that of that show. I'm, I'm not sure, but yeah, I mean, it's either way, theater, but it's Sonia Freeman production, right? Right. Um, but, like say but regardless, it, it, should, it shouldn't have happened. It's, it's no. terrible. It's really terrible. It's so disrespectful. And you know, it, it, it's highly likely that the company didn't expect the shows to, to be going back. But anyway, this year, you know, a, a lot of people weren't shocked, but they were more shocked and upset about the way that they found out. And that, that they yeah, they would told, like to be told. They deserve not to on be Twitter. told. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it breaks my heart because everything that everyone's been through since March with lockdown and ha facing this new normal 
that we're, we're part of now, it's been horrendous for everyone. People have lost family members, friends. It, it's been horrific. So for them, whoever they are, to do that is absolutely heartbreaking and unforgivable. And I just, my heart goes out to every single member of every single de department yeah. of both of those shows. And I know a lot of them, so I've, you know, I've sent them a message and just said, I'm so sorry. This is horrendous. I'm sending you so much love. I would agree with both of you. It's a, it's a, a terrible way to go about it, isn't it? It's a seriously bad way. Um, one of the things I find weird is that the, the um, theatre review was apologising for yes. commenting on this. And I'm just thinking, well, it's not your place to apologise. If the producers let the cat out of the bag, whether it was gossip, that it got through, whatever. If the news had been untrue, then yes, they need to apologise, but the news isn't untrue. All that's happened is the producers have gone about it in a very, very bad way. And yeah, I mean, that's their fault solely, not, not the, um, the people breaking the news. Yeah, so this is in particular weird. So Dear Evan Hansen was announced by What's On Stage on Monday afternoon, and then within an hour, other publications, in particular London Theatre One, um, commented on it as well but like I say it was what's on stage who commented on it first and then they were just adding to that um, and then the next day was when they then announced about um, Book of Mormon um, and people came for them saying were they being sensitive in the way that they were relaying the information did they do it? Were they trying to be quick off the mark and get in there before anybody else to try and effectively have a scoop? These were the accusations that London Theatre Reviews was facing and they, they, they took to Twitter to... I mean, they apologised for, for any upset that they had caused by commenting on it. But in a kind of roundabout way, they kind of then pushed it back on the producer and say, well, it, ultimately it's their fault for, for not handling it in the first place, rather than acknowledging their responsibility in, and their play in it. But I think it makes a difference how something is said yes. and how something is put across. Yeah. So there should have been a level of sensitivity or well, something. It. I, as a blog, I, I have a responsibility and a, an awareness about anything. So, for example, with the drive shows that the six got cancelled, I was aware of that on the morning. And I didn't comment on a report on it until The Guardian officially put this information out. And then my first instance was to contact three of the cast who I know personally to check in with them and see if they were okay. And just to check that they, they had been told. And in that case, all of the, uh, the creative and cast of six were told prior to The Guardian releasing the information. But very, like, it was an hour or so before and they didn't realise that information was going to be coming out so quickly. So I think this as well, when, when producers do have to give this bad news to the casting creative, they should also recognise a responsibility on how to tell the cast when this information is going to come out, how possibly it's going to be relayed, so at least people are prepared for that. Like I say, the, the cast members weren't expecting The Guardian to release that information an, an hour later. They were still digesting it themselves. What I, will, what I will say is, playing devil's advocate slightly, it is possible that there was an embargo on the news release, the press release. Yeah. And if there was an embargo, if an embargo had been broken, 
if for instance you say you are not to report this until such day, and we we get those in press we get those all the time you're not allowed to do it then till then um hello oh, sorry i lost you suddenly um then uh and if you ignore that embargo and you just send a press release and yes it's a possibility that you, they were going to tell people but it was became too late because somebody broke the embargo so i don't know but i in the press release we we found out love never dies we found out on the friday uh, thursday evening uh, by a, a tweet or something on a news website that we were going to be replaced by um one man two governors which was transferring from the national and we found out that because someone the nationals team had leaked the information to uh to a newspaper and you know everyone was nice all right for love never dies uh, from the get-go so we found out online and then the following day Andrew and uh, Andre from um, from Rog came in to say, yeah, unfortunately it's true. We have been in negotiations to, to leave the theatre, but we were a couple of weeks away from making final decisions. And, and, but now this news is out, it's out, and yeah, it, it's happening. It has to happen. We're sorry you found out in that way, but um, the, it, it wasn't on us. It was it was someone else's team that was responsible, and we've had words and and uh, and that was a, that was a decent way of dealing with it. But sometimes, like you say, Paul, these things are out of sometimes out of the producer's control i yeah. personally think it's, it's unlikely in this instance but but i i agree yeah. it's, it's it's not always something that they do have control over but even even if there had been discussions because these these decisions weren't just made overnight they've obviously been talking about them for a, a number of days so the very least that they could have done is say look we are going to be having a discussion about when we're going to bring the show back and and uh, but just so just hang fire and we'll, we'll let you know as, as soon as we have a decision but sure. you know at no point was any of this communicated to any of the company and then finding out where it's tacky. I suppose the ideal is to say, you know, you could say to producers, right, and we're going to tell the cast and crew first uh, and then we're going to tell the papers. And of course, then you're up against people tweeting about it. Then yeah, more yeah. know about it. So it becomes... English control of that, yeah. how the information gets relayed. It's a very difficult one to, to, to balance, but it, it's, it's been done in the wrong way, certainly. Mm -hmm. In reaction to these incidents, where casts have then taken to Twitter to then slag off the producers, effectively, how do you feel about that? Because obviously you're still employed by them, and you, you're kind of putting them in disrepute. Yes, you, you might not agree with the way you've been treated, but is it appropriate to then take your anger to Twitter? In the way that don't happens. bite don't bite the hand that feeds you i've learned that yeah. lesson i've learned that lesson <laughs> myself i can I'll, I'll shout at the government until i have no voice left because i can and because it's it's a responsibility but but not mm. be careful you should just be careful because yeah. you don't know you're going to be in an audition room with 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 those people at some point as a jobbing actor uh, or, or or crew mm. or, or anything and it's a shame to kind of have to feel like that that you don't have a voice because so many people mm. do say how they feel on a daily basis on twitter on facebook on instagram i'm not that person 100 percent. if i've got a gripe with something or a situation i'll tell my husband i'll tell my friends my family yeah. i wouldn't post it socially because it's none of a lot of people's businesses mm. do you know what i mean but that's that's my makeup that's my per that's my personal preference is if I have nothing nice to say about something, it's not going to be aired publicly, but that's mm. me. Whereas other people have found a lot of solace in Twitter recently, haven't they? With everything yeah. that's been going on. 
And uh, there's an official grievance. Mm. Sorry, sorry, carry on. No, no, carry on, that's fine. I was going to say, if there's an official grievance, go to equity. If you, if you feel that you have yeah, a thing, go, a go to your union, because yeah, that's the point. It's like, these people who are then criticizing Twitter, well, did you email the producer? Did you email your agent to, first to, set, to tell them you were angry rather than take to Twitter? Um, yeah, it's an interesting one. Well, I'm not, also, I'm not going to slander someone who has done that because no. that's how they felt. Yeah. And that's their, yes, you're right. It's like, don't bite the hand that feeds you, Kieran, 100%. But if you feel so passionate about that and you have been on Twitter every single day saying how you feel since lockdown, since before that, that's who you are. I'm not going to slander them because that's their choice. They've made that choice mm. to do that. Mm. Even, even within this, does it undermine the producers? If on, on day one of any rehearsal, you're told by producers, be careful what you say on social media. Um, Slash, do you, don't mention you're in that show because the cast hasn't been uh, released yet. So this, this, they they're very kind of on it when it mm. comes to that. But are they undermining themselves by not having not respecting the the, the same policy? If there's a definite there's a definite power uh, un, unbalanced power uh, relationship going on, and unfortunately, producers they do hold all the cards. They can mm. they can tell us on Twitter that we don't have jobs, but but we can't say that we're going, you know, that we're off the show that week on holiday. It's, it's kind of, you know, there's, there's a, a, there needs to be a bit of a redress of, uh, of power. And, and mm -hmm. partly that partly comes from being part of a strong union, which is only strong if people, people are members of it. At the moment, the, the, I'm, I'm a huge supporter of equity. Um, I believe very strongly in the union, but unfortunately they don't have the power that, that they should have, that they have in America because not enough yes. performers are members. There is only strength in numbers. A lot of people feel very aggrieved by decisions that equity has made over the years. Things that happened, you know, 15, 20 years ago, I was done out of money, you know, for a cash recording because equity agreed to this deal. I'll never join the union again. Cutting off the nose despite the face kind of, uh, kind of attitude. And I think this entire um, Corona uh, episode in, in this business, I think should be an eye opener. And, and it, I think that everyone should really consider joining the union and, and, and using our voices in a more constructive and, and effective way. And I dare say that's, that's more constructive than social media, than, than, than yeah. shouting about it in social media. Join the union and, and vote for the change and help shape the change that needs to happen because something does need to change. Absolutely. Do you think a producer has seen those tweets or those mentions seeing a cast member or... Um, a uh, wardrobe member or um, technician being aggrieved, are they going to think, oh, that's, wow, I've really hurt them. I've really upset them. I feel bad. I'm going to do something about it. Or go through the right channels and equity actually put something in place that producers, etc., can actually adhere to. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you very much, guys. That's been incredible. Thank, Thank you. you. Right. Have a lovely day, everyone. You too. Take care Have of yourselves. Take care. Lots of love. Bye. Bye. Bye.